Before we begin this morning, we'll have a prayer. Uh, is there anything in particular we can pray about this morning? Any specific prayer requests that you guys might have? Also, if you're online, please uh, feel free to shoot me a text if you have a specific prayer request. I've got my phone up here, so if you have a prayer request and you're not able to be here this morning, send me a text, and before our class is done this morning, we'll be sure to pray for that as well. Okay, let's have a prayer this morning. We'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for another day that you've blessed us with. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here together as your people, the opportunity to be here together as your church. And Father, we thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, which established the church, which gave us a, a reason for our faith, which gives us hope, which gives us evidence that we can stand on, Father. And uh, we pray that we will continue to th consider this in every day of our lives. Father, we pray that we will constantly be thinking about uh, the things that you would have us think about in reflection of what Jesus has done for us. God, especially this morning, uh, we're mindful of all of the people who may be uh, sick with COVID. Uh, Father, we pray that you will heal them as quickly as possible. We pray that uh, you will make it as easy as possible. And Father, for those who are affected in other ways through family or friends being sick or through uh, troubles at jobs or troubles at uh, school, Father, we pray that you will please just continue to uh, guide all of us through this. Father, continue to comfort and strengthen all of us as we deal with this. And Father, as always, we pray that it will end quickly. God, we pray that you'll bless us as a church during this time. Help us to shine as a light in the community. Help us to reach out to the people around us and show them who you would have us to be uh, during a pandemic and after a pandemic, Father. And we pray that we will lead more people to you through what we do here. God, we pray that whatever happens, that you will come soon, that you will uh, take us home to be with you. And we look forward to that day where we can be with you in heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as, uh, as we start this morning, uh, I'm just going to make a quick confession. Uh, this is one, a class I've been kind of nervous about uh, this particular day, because we're not going to spend just a whole ton of time in the Bible on this first lesson. I, I know we're in Bible class, and so this is uh, kind of unusual to do what we're going to be doing today, but I think there's some good reason for it, and I'll explain why in a minute. But the reason I'm nervous about it is because when I'm not dealing with the Bible, I don't really have material to fall back on if I run out of time or if I have extra time. Uh, so if you have questions or comments, feel free to stop me. The bad side of that is because I was, wasn't sure, I was like, oh no, am I going to not have enough material? I may have overdone some PowerPoint slides here. <laughs> I may have put a little too much on some of these. Uh, so please feel free at any point to stop, ask questions, make comments, anything like that. I will do my best to look up and see uh, and make sure. I know it's an auditorium class, and sometimes that means people feel like you're not allowed to talk. You're absolutely allowed to bring up stuff in here. Uh, that's, that's totally okay. But what we want to deal with today is we're thinking about, in this 12, 13-week class, we're thinking about the resurrection of Jesus specifically, and then we're moving on towards the resurrection of humanity afterwards. As we get into that, this first half of the class is going to be dealing specifically with Jesus' resurrection. And to deal with that, what I want to talk about today is Jesus' resurrection and the ancient world. And I think we need to talk about this specific topic because we need to understand how the event of Jesus' resurrection fit into what was going on in the surrounding culture. 
We want to understand why what happened to Jesus was so much different than what everybody had experienced up until that point. We want to ask, was there anything else like the resurrection of Jesus during that time or before that time that maybe influenced some of what we know about the resurrection of Jesus? Now, of course, right off the bat, if this is something you've never studied before and you've heard me ask these couple of questions this morning, then maybe what you have thought is, well, absolutely not. There's, there's nothing out there like this. Uh, there's really no reason to study Jesus in the ancient world because Jesus was completely unique. And maybe you're right and maybe not. One of the things I noticed when we did our little survey last week was I asked that question, I think pretty early on, how does Jesus' resurrection fit into the ancient world? And we had three different answers on there, and one of them nobody picked, and so that was good. That was the obvious uh, out. But there were two that actually was pretty well mixed. Um, we had uh, almost half uh, of everybody in here answered that Jesus' resurrection fits into the ancient world because even though there were other things like Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' resurrection was the only one that actually happened. So what we said in that answer was that there are a lot of stories about gods who died and were resurrected, but Jesus is the only one that really happened. A little less than half of the people in this class answered that. A little more than half answered that there was nothing like it in the ancient world and that Jesus' resurrection is entirely unique. So that's the question we're going to be dealing with today to try to figure out what is actually the truth on this. And here's the reason I think it's important. This is just one example, uh, a gentleman named Richard Carrier. He grew up as a, uh, as a Methodist. He was in the Methodist church. Uh, and as he grew up, he came to a disbelief in God. Uh, he eventually converted to Taoism. Don't even ask me what Taoism is. I have no idea, and I'm not going to disgrace myself uh, by trying to figure it out. And as he then converted through that, he came to a decision as he was in the Navy that God did not exist. And so throughout all of this, what he decided to do was he was going to become a historian. And when he became a historian, he's focused entirely on two things. Number one, he focused on the history of atheism. And number two, the historicity of Jesus. Was Jesus actually a real person? To this day, Richard Carrier does not believe that Jesus ever even existed. But listen to some of the things that he has said about the resurrection of Jesus. He says it simply cannot be claimed that the Jewish authors of the idea of their own or the Jewish authors of the idea of their own miraculously born dying and rising savior were in no way aware of nor at all influenced by the widespread instantiation of exactly that kind of savior all around them in practically every culture that they knew. It's simply absurd. The coincidence is impossible. Listen to what Richard Carrier says here. He says, in the Jewish culture, we have a dying and rising God. That's Jesus. And it, there is absolutely no way in his mind that that is not somehow influenced, that story of Jesus is not somehow influenced by the several dying and rising gods from all of the other cultures that surrounded the Jewish culture at that time. He says it's absolutely absurd. It's an impossible coincidence. They must have been a reflection of each other. So he says this, the only plausible reason for why some Jews ever came up with a Jewish dying and rising Savior God in precisely that region and that era is because everyone else had. 
Listen to what he says. The reason you have the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is because everybody before the Jews had already come up with it. All they were doing was taking that idea. And so he closes his thoughts with this. It's time to face this fact and stop denying it. It's time to get over it already. Resurrected Savior gods were a pagan idea. All Christianity did was invent a Jewish one. I think this alone is a good enough reason to stop and look at what he's talking about. He doesn't believe that God exists. He doesn't believe that Jesus ever walked this earth. But among all of this, what he's saying is that the story that you have about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection wasn't even unique to the authors of the New Testament. It wasn't something that they uh, experienced. It wasn't something that they saw. And as a matter of fact, if we're going to call it a made-up story, then it's not even a story that they made up. It's something that they took from all of the other cultures around it. There's an, another uh, blog that I came across while I was doing some study for this. As it talks about the uh, dying and rising gods of the ancient world and wraps it up, what this site says is that the resurrection of Jesus is basically the greatest prank in all of history. Jewish people stealing what there was before and making it their own. This is a well-represented view. This isn't something that just Richard Carrier believes, or just some random blog on the internet believes. This is something that's out there. The belief that Jesus' story does not exist without the stories that came before it. And so what we want to do today is, all right, let's talk about that. Let's deal with these things. Let's talk about the dying and rising gods of the ancient world. And let's figure out, what in the world is going on here? Because if you pay attention to some of the things that people will bring up as we talk about this, there are some unsettling points. There are some points that if you dive into this for the first time, if you go on the internet blogs or you read some of Richard Carrier's work, you're going to find some things that might make you uncomfortable. Who are the dying and rising gods of the ancient world? What are they? Some of the, the basic facts that you are going to find when you read the stories of the dying and rising gods of the ancient world. Number one, all of them are male. And so this is going to be the first point of connection that people make when they say that Jesus is just another dying and rising God. Because what is he? He's also a male, right? Each one of them has some sort of close female cohort. Each one of them has uh, a woman who stands with them who is of extreme importance to their particular religion. And the connection that's going to be drawn between Jesus and the dying and rising gods at this point is either going to be between his mother Mary or between him and the females who followed him around like Mary Magdalene. Of course, all of this occurred somewhere in that Mediterranean region over there. All of these dying and rising gods come up from there. And then you're going to have them being the focus of the myths and the rituals of the day. And what that means is that there is a myth that is told somewhere about this dying and rising God of them dying some sort of death, whether it be at their own hand or at the hand of somebody else. And then after a certain number of days, they are going to be raised. And a lot of times what you're going to find is people bring up these facts is they're going to say, notice that this God was dead for three days. 
is God was dead for three days before being raised. And then at some point in the worship of this dying and rising God, you're going to have a ritual come up with a uh, representation of the death, the burial, or the resurrection. And of course, they're going to say that the commemoration of the Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted, that the church instituted later on, is going to be another one of those connections. Now, these are just a few of the opening connections that are going to be made. When you get into some of the deeper details, when you get into some of the weirder stuff, uh, I'm not sure, this is something that I, I have heard about before, but I had not actually watched until this past weekend. Uh, it's called Zeitgeist the Movie. Uh, and basically, if you've never watched it, all I can come up with is it seems like it's dealing with conspiracy theorists, and that's all that it is. But pretty much the entire first 30 to 45 minutes of it is dealing with this exact subject. The belief, Their belief is that Jesus is just another great conspiracy. Jesus' resurrection is just something that people came up with. At the end of the section on Jesus... Zeitgeist the movie says religion, specifically Christianity, is a distraction that is engineered by a secret group of people to dumb down our population. One of the things that I notice just as I come across this, and maybe this is something that will be important later on today, is how militant people are against Christianity in general how attacking they are. It's not like they're going to deal with this evidence and point out some of the things and say, hey, these are some things we should ask questions about. No, they're going to point out this stuff and they're going to say, look at these similarities. It must be wrong. This is absurd. It's impossible for you to believe otherwise. And if you do believe it, well, it's because a secret group of people is trying to make you dumb. So why are we talking about this? Why are we bringing them up? Well, because the parallels to Jesus appear to be there. When you watch that zeitgeist, the movie, they're going to bring up God after God after God who has what they call the same story as Jesus. And they're going to bring up several different facts about these gods. Uh, I thought about showing the video clip, but it's, it's way too long to get into it. But if you want to go watch it, what they're going to do is they're going to say all of these gods are born on the same day, December 25th. All of them have 12 followers. All of them uh, died by some form. Several of them died by crucifixion. And all of them are raised. Those are just some of the basic facts that they deal with when they deal with these dying and rising gods. You've got the male resurrected deity. You've got the commemoration of the deaths. You've got the close female cohorts. And supposedly, Jesus is the last. You've got a long line for thousands of years leading up to Jesus, according to these people. And supposedly, Jesus is just the next in line. Because he's a male resurrected deity, the Lord's Supper, and the females that are around them. So here's what we're doing today. This is why we're talking about this. Remember last week we talked about how to study the resurrection of Jesus is to study history. And we talked about the five different ways that we study history last week, right? We talked about how we study history as an event. We talked about how we also study history as significant events. The difference between those two things is that everything that's in the past is history, but not everything that's in the past is something that's actually significant. Okay, The fact that I ate toast and eggs this morning means nothing to you. But there are a lot of things that have happened in the last week 
that are very important in the history of humanity. So those are the kind of things that we really want to study is the significant things. We've also talked about history as things that are provable, things that have evidence behind them, and then history as the things that are written about those things. But today, probably what we're going to be dealing with the most is that fifth aspect that we've talked about last week, and that is what modern historians say about history. And that's what we're diving into, is what are the modern historians saying? And then on top of that, we're going to be trying to understand what actually is going on in the ancient world. So what does, or what do the ancient cultures say about the dying and rising gods? And of course, on the other side of that, we're going to be dealing with apologetics. And this is what we talked about, how some of our first uh, few lessons are going to be dealing with this. As we talk about the things that we talk about today and over the next couple of weeks, our goal is, if this is your first time, maybe if you're watching online uh, and you've never dealt with any of these things before and you've got questions about Jesus, our goal is hopefully to lead you to some kind of faith in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is just the first step. The first step is to eliminate everything else, right? To eliminate the outside noise. For those of us who already have a faith in Jesus... We're doing this to help us to defend what we have, right? We're doing this to help us to defend our own faith because when we read the works of people like this, our faith is being attacked. And we want to take a minute and we want to actually look into what they say, look at the facts about it, and determine whether or not our faith is true. Once we have that, finally, this will arm us with some kind of evidence against any doubt. And that evidence will be what brings us into our faith and helps develop our faith and builds our faith. So, we've got these dying and rising gods in the ancient world. There's absolutely no doubt that they existed. They're all throughout other cultures. And people are saying there are parallels to Jesus. And because there are parallels to Jesus, that means there is no true Jesus story. That means that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was stolen from these other stories. And so today what I'd like to do is I'd like to play their game. I'd like to read some of these things about these other gods that are out there. If you go and you watch some of these things, you read some of the things, you're going to see all of these parallels that are brought up. So I went to the source. I said, okay, let's read what the ancient cultures actually said about their gods. I've got four or five of them on here today that I just thought we could go through. Maybe we could kind of deal with uh, some of the important things uh, that are brought up in the specifics about these gods. So, one of the most famous that you've got out there is Osiris. Right? Now, let, let, me, let me just say one thing real quick. One of the things that I like about studying the ancient gods is that they're basically comic book characters, each and every one of them. These are the comic book stories of the ancient world. This is the stuff that they wrote about. Each and every one of them has some sort of heroic battle. They've got some heroic characteristics that people are going to follow. But they also have a lot of the same flaws that a lot of our modern superheroes have. And so going back and reading these, if you put yourself in the right mindset, can be very entertaining to go and read about the superheroes of the ancient world. When we deal with the dying and rising gods, each one of them is going to be some kind of superhero in their culture. So Osiris is no different. He's an Egyptian god. He's the god of, uh, god of vegetation. Uh, he's king of their underworld. Uh, and, uh, of course, there are several different versions of his story. Just like when you read comic books today, you're going to have several different versions of the story. 
right? Uh, you might have, and don't, don't let me go off on this too far. Jeremy, stop me if I get too much, right? But you might have a Batman comic line and a Detectives comic line and a Justice League comic line. And each one of them deals with the same character, but all of them are telling what? Different stories about that character in a different light. A lot of times when we read these ancient gods, we're going to see the same thing. Different, acid, or different parts of the culture are going to have different views of the God and different parts of the story that they're all putting together. So, in some versions of the Osiris story, Osiris was actually a former pharaoh who, when he died, uh, gave up his life but became king of the underworld. So, uh, his female cohort, he's the Egyptian god, his female cohort is his wife, Isis. Isis is actually the goddess who's going to become very popular later on in the Greek world. You can read a lot about her in their culture as well. But she starts off merely as the goddess who's attached to the god Osiris. There are a few different versions of the story of Osiris. I, I picked one uh, just, to, just to relate to you. Uh, Osiris one day uh, came into a discussion with another god named Set. And in their discussion, Set has decided that he is going to make a box. And he has measured it exactly right. And he says, anybody who can fit in this box can have it. That's it. He brings it to a party. He brings out this beautiful box. And he says, if you can fit in the box, it's yours. And so Osiris said, yeah, sure, I'll try that. He gets in the box, which has been measured perfectly for him. And Set closes it. And he traps him. And it's game over. So he, uh, he eventually sends him off to see, I believe, in the Nile, maybe. That's where he puts him. Uh, and Isis, of course, is very upset about this. You know, what has happened? Uh, her, her husband is dead. She's upset. And so she goes and she finds the box. Uh, again, I believe it's in the Nile. Don't quote me on that. She goes and she finds the box. And she recovers at least the body of Osiris. Well, once she recovers the body, Set gets upset about this. Uh, also, I, I put Typhon on there. It should be Set. Uh, Typhon is the Greek name for Set. So it's the same god. Greek, uh, Greeks just changed his name a little bit later on. What ends up happening is that Set finds the body again, and he cuts it up into 14 pieces, spreads them all throughout the land of Egypt. And Isis then says, all right, I'm going to go find all 14 of these pieces. She finds 13 of them. Can't find the 14th. She finds 13 of them, puts them all back together, and somehow through her magical abilities brings him back to a consciousness in the afterlife. Notice what she doesn't do. She doesn't resurrect him. She doesn't put him back in the body that she's put together. She just gives him some kind of consciousness in his afterlife. And so then Osiris becomes king of the underworld uh, and eventually helps his son on earth, Horus, defeat the other god, Set. And so there are some other versions of the story that will say that the new pharaoh embodies Horus, and then every time a pharaoh dies, he becomes Osiris in the underworld, and his son becomes the new Horus. And so it's a constant cycle of a Horus on earth who then becomes Osiris in the underworld as the leader of the underworld. It's not a true resurrection story, is it? It's more of just like a reincarnation story, if anything else. And maybe that's a pretty loose term. Of course, there are some festivals uh, that are connected to it. 
most of them are agricultural festivals, though. Most of them deal with the rising and falling of the Nile River. And so Set was considered to be when there was drought, uh, there was something going on with the god Set. Uh, Osiris was the Nile. When, when the Nile would raise, that meant that Osiris was raised. When it would fall, that meant that Osiris, Osiris was dead. And then Isis, of course, was the land. But again, notice what you've got here. You've got no actual resurrection. No dying and rising God, just a dead one. You turn to the Ugarit, uh, the Ugaritic god Baal. This is one you're probably familiar with because the Israelites are going to interact with him a lot. You may remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. There are a lot of people who ascribe to the god Baal, and he's got a lot of different faces and a lot of different names. Uh, each different city actually has their own version of Baal. The name Baal just means Lord. And so each city uh, has some version of this. And of course, he's got his female cohort, Anat. Depending on which version of the story you read, she might have a little bit different name. He, uh, he was connected with the sun in some way. Uh, a lot of people say that he lived in, in the heaven and he was the sun. Uh, he was the one who was the master of the country. He was responsible for the vegetation, the agriculture in the country. And he also caused destructive storms. So he caused good storms to come, caused the agriculture to grow, but then also he caused destructive storms. So here's the myth behind Baal. He has some kind of battle with another god, right? He's got some kind of battle with Moat, the god of death. And in this battle, uh, Moat kills him and takes him to the underworld, which causes what? It causes the dry season. Now, that's, again, something connected with uh, the vegetation of the world. That's something connected with the way that the seasons work on that side of the world. So what are people doing so far? What are the connections we can make through this so far? People are noticing that something different happens at different times of the year. And so they're writing stories about it to determine or to, to you know, uh, decide what's actually happening based on their gods. So... During the time that uh, Moat kills Baal, takes him to the underworld, that's when the dry season comes. However, Anat comes, the female cohort comes, and she battles Moat to the death. And during that time, Baal is reborn, which then brings back the rainy season. So Moat is gone, Baal is back. But then, in some versions of the story, Moat reappears. And it's a constant cycle over and over and over again of death, rebirth, death, rebirth, not what? Resurrection. There's no resurrected God in any of this. So as we go forward, we're going to read a little bit more about Dionysus. This may be one of the ones you're also a little more familiar with because we deal a little bit more with the Greek gods in our culture. This is actually one of the most widespread Greek myths. Uh, you know, when we think about the pantheon of the Greek world, we think often about Zeus and Hermes and Hades and all of that. But Dionysus was actually one of the more popular ones. Uh, he was the son of Zeus and a mortal woman named Semele. Uh, and what ends up happening, uh, and that of course is his uh, female cohort, by the way, his mother, uh, what ends up happening is that Hera becomes jealous of Simili. 
and so what she decides to do is she says, hey, Samili, I would like for you to go to Zeus. And I would like for you to say, Zeus, because you love me so much, I, I'm a mortal woman and you're an immortal God. Because you love me so much, what I would like for you to do is show me yourself in your fullest glory. Hera knowing that when Zeus does this, Samili will die. And so that's exactly what happens. Uh, Zeus comes in, he shows her his uh, fullest self, and she dies in childbirth. But a side effect of that was that Dionysus became immortal. So even though he's a mortal son, even though he's not a god, he becomes immortal in this story. And as he grows up, uh, Hermes goes off and he raises him. Uh, as he grows up, Dionysus actually goes to the underworld to retrieve his mother and bring her back. He gets upset about it. And he says, I want to see my mom. Or, in some other versions of the story, you also have Dionysus just getting killed by the Titans, and that's it. After Dionysus is killed by the Titans in this version of the story, uh, Zeus comes in, and he's upset about it. He shoots lightning at them and kills them all. And in the resulting dust, also dust particles from Dionysus come up. And so each human in this story is part of Dionysus. Once again, you'll notice that there is no resurrected God in either version of this story. In the first version of the story, all he, he doesn't die. He just goes to the underworld and gets his mom back. In the second version of the story, he dies, but he's not raised. It's just dust particles that are in the air. There's no similarity to Jesus in any of this. Uh, the Jews will even bring up this particular God and how widespread he was. When you read 3rd Maccabees, of course, the Maccabean books, talking about the history between basically the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew and what happens in those several hundred years span. And they'll talk about how they were forced to worship Dionysus in a lot of places. So as we read a lot of these things, what we're going to find is that, yes, there is some influence on the Jewish culture, but the influence is that they're forced to listen to it. They're forced to worship it. Not, hey, let's take this story and let's do something with it. Instead, it's oppression. That doesn't sound like something that they're going to want to take. But also, there's no resurrected God. Uh, I'll read through these last two because they're a little less well-known. Uh, Adonis, uh, he's a Phoenician god. He's not really a major god. As a matter of fact, in every version of his story, he is subjected to the female goddess that he's attached to, most often being Aphrodite. He's a handsome young man. Aphrodite loves him. One day he goes hunting. A wild boar kills him. Uh, Aphrodite wants him back. Persephone wants to keep him in the underworld. And so they make a contract, or in some versions, Zeus makes the contract between them, and they decide that during a year span, Adonis will spend a third of the year in the underworld with Persephone, a third of the year with Aphrodite, and then a third of the year he gets to do whatever he wants. That's not a resurrected God, except maybe it is when we talk about that last third, right? Maybe that last third is a resurrection. What if he wants to come back? Well, most of the versions are going to have him remaining just dead. Uh, most of the versions don't even have this contract. The versions that do have the contract at the earliest appear in the 2nd century AD after Jesus. 
So we don't really have a confirmed resurrection story here, but if we do, it's after Jesus, not an influence on the Jesus story. The last one we'll talk about is Addis. Uh, of course, Addis, he's an Asian god. Uh, his female cohort is named Sibel. Uh, you've got this weird story about uh, Zeus uh, and this half-male, half-female creature that Zeus uh, beats. Uh, uh, Dionysus makes uh, this particular creature drunk. Uh, this creature cuts off uh, certain body parts, and from those body parts, a tree grows, and off of that tree, a fruit grows, and a woman named Nana comes, and she takes that fruit, and from that fruit, she makes this god, Addis. Uh, Addis was supposed to marry uh, the, I, I believe it's the, the queen of uh, Pessinus, but this half-male, half-female creature that Zeus has beaten falls in love with Addis. And so we actually don't know. Uh, nobody really knows how he died. Nobody really deals with how he died uh, in this story. There's, there's all sorts of different uh, versions of this. Either uh, he killed himself, or he, there was some sort of accident, or he killed himself by accident, or uh, maybe he was killed by another wild boar. And so this half-male, half-female creature says, Zeus, I want you to return him to life. And Zeus says, I won't return him to life, but I promise you that his body will not decay. And so to prove that Zeus was true, Addis' body uh, lays there preserved, and his hair continues to grow, and every now and then, his little finger would move. That's not resurrection. That's not something to compare to what we have about Jesus. So, here's the problems. We, we've read these five stories. Now, as we've gone through these five stories, maybe you've asked yourself the question, why in the world are we dealing with these stories? Why are we talking about these stories? Yes, I know that you said people make these parallels. Yes, I know that you said that it's out there. The reason I picked these five is because on just about every site you go to, on just about every blog you go to, just about every book you read will have one or all five of these. And they'll bring up all of their stories and they'll say, these are the influences on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This is where the Jews get the story from. It's Osiris, it's Dionysus, it's Baal, it's Addis, it's Adonis. Any one of them could be, or all five of them could be, uh, listed on some sort of website that is uh, denying the resurrection of Jesus. But you've got a lot of problems with this. Number one, you've got the problem of death. See, because this is one of the first parallels that they're going to bring up, is all of these gods die just like Jesus died. But the thing is, that's not a similarity, because what happens to every last one of us? We all die, right? Death is a common problem. And regardless of which religion you come across in the world, what are they all going to deal with in some aspect? They're all going to deal with death. And so seeing that as a, as a similarity is quite a stretch. Of all of these, only one was resurrected. Only one was raised. And even then, his resurrection story comes after the resurrection of Jesus. Some were not gods. You remember we talked about Addis and Adonis. Both of them are mortals. 
Uh, neither one of them uh, were, were in the original pantheon. They were born as mortals and addition, uh, eventually added into uh, the godhood. They're all in some way related to what we talked about a minute ago. The rains on the earth, the uh, end of the rains, the dry season, and some sort of cycle. All of that happens annually. Uh, all of that happens over and over and over again. And so each year, you've got that God who's out there who dies and then eventually is in their mind raised. But when we get to the Jesus story, we're not going to see something like that, are we? We're not going to see anything connected to agriculture. We're not going to see anything connected to the rains and the droughts. Uh, even in Jewish times, before you get to Jesus, in the Old Testament, when we've got passages that are regarding resurrection in the Old Testament, they're not referring to an annual event. They're not referring to agricultural patterns. Uh, the few texts that actually do discuss resurrection mainly deal with the resurrection of humanity at the end of time. All of this you can find in passages like Daniel 12. You can find in Isaiah 26. Uh, when you deal with, even in the Old Testament, the ideas of people being raised. You remember that Elijah and Elisha both raised children from the dead. It's a one-time event. It's not something that happens over and over and over again based on the seasons. And so when we get to the New Testament, we get to Jesus. Unlike these dying and rising gods, Jesus dies only once. He's raised only once. Each of these have different versions of their stories, right? Um, I get a little confused reading back and forth between all of these things. But what do we have when we get to the Jesus story? We have one cohesive narrative that tells us about the death, burial, and resurrection, even though we have four viewpoints of it, even though we have four different people writing about it, they all come together to tell us the exact same thing. Oh, oh boy. Um, we, uh, I, I may have put a little too much in this after all. The other thing is this. Of those five gods and of any of the dying and rising gods, not a single one of them has ever been considered a historical person. Now, this is where people like Richard Carrier are going to go off and say, well, Jesus wasn't a historical person either. And this is where you're going to have some problems. Because when you get to the Jesus story, let's forget about the resurrection for just a minute. Let's forget even about his death for just a minute. There is ample evidence that Jesus just existed, that he was a person who existed in the human history in that timeline. We don't get that about any of these dying and rising gods. Nobody ever claims that they were a legitimate person who walked among humanity. So Jesus is already far and apart different from them because not only do we have those claims, we have evidence that backs that up. We even have atheists who will write on the fact that, yes, I don't believe Jesus was divine, but I do at least believe that he existed as a person. So we've got a lot of differences between uh, these stories. I think one of the things that comes up is the fact that these people who are bringing up these examples from the ancient world, is they're saying, let's look at all of these quote-unquote dying and rising gods, which I, I think when we read the actual stories instead of what people tell us the stories say, when we read the actual stories, we see there really aren't any parallels. There's really nothing like what happened to Jesus in the ancient world. 
But even if there were, even if there were the exact same story written, what they're doing is they're looking at all of the imposters that are out there. They're looking at all of the fakes that are out there and saying, because all of these are fakes, that means that this one can't be real. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. When we think about this, you know, if I came up to, to you today, you know, if I came up to John and I said, you know, asked you who you were, John, you would tell me, John Kackelman, Ukrainian missions, you would give me all of this uh, detail about yourself. And then I would tell you, you can't possibly be John because I've met five other people in the last week who've told me they're John Kackelman who works with Ukrainian missions and they run a warehouse downtown. So you can't be John because I've met five other people who told me that. Well, that's the same kind of example. That's the same kind of thing we're doing is we're saying, because all of these other people claim the same thing, Jesus can't be Jesus. Jesus can't be raised. They're doing it backwards. They're doing it a different way. Let's think about this in a modern example. i got three minutes left. I'm going to try to run through this. What if I told you the story of an unsinkable ship that set out to sea in April on its very first voyage? through the North Atlantic Ocean, that then hit an iceberg and sunk. When the passengers went to try to save themselves, there were not enough lifeboats on board, and several of them died. A lot of you would say, well, you're talking about the Titanic. 1912, right? Very famous event. But I'm not actually. I'm actually telling you a story from a book called The Futility. There was a book uh, in 1898, 14 years prior to the Titanic event that talks about a ship called the Titan that's supposed to be unsinkable that sets out to sea in April on its first voyage that goes through the North Atlantic, hits an iceberg, sinks, and people die because there's not enough lifeboats on board. That's the same story, right? Nobody in this room would ever say, well, because there was a book that's written 14 years prior to the Titanic event, the Titanic didn't really happen. Because we've got what? We've got ample evidence of the Titanic event, right? We've got ample evidence that there is a ship at the bottom of the ocean called the Titanic. But we also have a fictional story 14 years ahead of the time that tells the same story. It's also a weird coincidence, by the way. If you're interested in conspiracy theories, go and read about that. It's very fascinating. Nobody would question this historical event because there's evidence. And yet, when we get to the resurrection of Jesus, what do we have? We've got ample evidence. We've got lots of things out there that tell us about the resurrection of Jesus. We'll deal with some of, those, some of that evidence in the next couple of weeks. When we talk about these parallels, just very briefly, he's the son of the Jewish God. Notice we didn't have anything like that. We didn't come across anything like that in the rest of the gods. There really is no female cohort. They'll try to make a connection between Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some of these other gods. But with most of them, the, uh, the, the gods are involved in some sort of romantic relationship with their female cohort. Jesus doesn't have that. And so they'll try to make some connection with Jesus' mother, but she doesn't even really appear all that much in the Gospels, only two or three times. Jesus died by crucifixion, 
which they'll say, ah, they're, they're, you know, even, even Osiris, people will come out and say, well, Osiris was killed by crucifixion. But we read the story just a minute ago, right? We read the different versions of the story. There's no crucifixion that's listed in there. No God died by crucifixion. Physically resurrected on the third day. We don't have that in any of the ancient world stories. Historically documented as a person outside of the religious text. So here's what we've got. Let me wrap it up. We've got nothing like Jesus in the ancient world except for Jesus. This is it. Uh, there is, Jesus is entirely unique. There are no dying and rising gods. There are gods who appear and disappear. There are gods who die and in some form have consciousness. But there is no dying and resurrected God in the ancient world. There's no evidence at all to prove that Jews or Christians took their ideas of resurrection from other religions. Specifically because the Jews were so constantly oppressed by these other religions. Why would they take ideas from them? Of course, there's ample evidence that Jesus existed, died, and was bodily resurrected. Let me leave you with this, this one quote. This is from Greg Kukul. He writes a book called Tactics, Dealing with Atheists, How to Talk to Them. He says, if it turns out, based on the historical information, that Jesus' story is false, then, and only then, it becomes interesting to study the rest of these stories and ask, where did Jesus' story come from? However, you can only do that if you can explain that Jesus' story is a fiction. And you can't. You can't do it. There's plenty of evidence out there that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and he was raised. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. Thank you for your attention this morning.